Right. Good morning, good morning. Super. Okay, so first Sunday of the year. Hope your start of the year has been okay. I, 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 prefer, I prefer New Year to Christmas. I mean, that's my comparison. I like, I like the turning of a new page. I like looking at my diary for the coming year. I like getting my spreadsheets all organized, <laughs> thinking about the next year. I like this, all that kind of stuff. I like the sort of uh, back-to-school feel, even though it was crazy that schools had to go back, teachers had to go back on Tuesday this week, but anyway. Um, so I hope you're feeling excited about the new year as well. Maybe that you're not feeling excited about the new year. It might be that you're feeling more of a sense of apprehension. What is 2024 going to bring? And that might be because of personal things that are happening in your life, or it might just be because that's a question of... of about the world at the moment. There does seem to be this sense that our, our society in many ways just seems to be blundering along in so many ways. And as we think about the coming year, there might be a lot of things which actually would make us quite anxious or, or fearful. And even as we have this strange sort of uh, psychological dislocation because the reality is that we live, we live in our context safer and more prosperous lives than anybody in history ever has... And yet we live with this real sense of insecurity. And all kinds of things play into that. The, the mental health crisis, climate change, chances of technology, the fracturing of family, political instability, race relations. All these things can feed into a real sense of insecurity, which does seem to very much shape the mentality of our society at the moment. I think the most powerful and poignant song lyric in popular culture of the last 60 years was sung by Simon and Garfunkel in 1968. Kathy, I'm lost, I said, that I knew she was sleeping. I'm empty and aching, and I don't know why. I'm not sure a more profound finger has been put on the problems of our society than that simple line, I'm empty and aching, and I don't know why. 56 years on from Simon and Garfunkel singing that song, it feels that, if anything, the sense of lostness is even more defining now than it was back then. I'm lost, I'm empty and aching, and I don't know why. We as a society are empty and aching, we're lost. How do we fill the emptiness? How do we heal the ache? How do we know that we're found? A month or two before Christmas, there was um, quite a bit of news around a woman called Ayan Hersey Ali, who is a Somalian woman and grew up in a fundamentalist uh, Muslim context and was part of that world herself. And then her family, in the end, left that world and found refuge in the Netherlands, and she eventually became a member of parliament in the Netherlands, and she actually she abandoned her Islamic fundamentalist, actually became an atheist, and she was part of the new atheist movement, so she was working with the likes of Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens with those new atheists, very campaigningly atheistic. Uh, but she has just recently started to move towards some kind of faith in Christ, and this is a very interesting example of somebody who's finding something which is filling the ache and, 
and the lostness. So, if this were, well, now we struggle with videos, but we've got a video of her talking about this experience. But yes, there's a very personal story. I don't know to what extent um, it's useful, but on a, on a very personal level, I went through a period of crisis, um, very personal crisis of fear, anxiety, depression. I went to the best therapists, money can pay. I think they gave me an explanation of some of the things that I was struggling with. But I continued to have this um, big spiritual hall or need, as you call it. Um, I tried to self-medicate. I tried to sedate myself. Um, I drank enough alcohol you could use to sterilize a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it would not, uh, nothing helped. Um, I continued to read, you know, books on psychiatry and the brain, and none of that helped. All of that explained a small piece of the puzzle, but there was still something that I was missing. Um, and then I think it was one um, therapist who said to me early this year, I think, Ayan, you're spiritually bankrupt. And at that point, I was in a place um, where I had sort of given up hope. I was in this place of darkness, and I thought, well, what the hell? Uh, I'm going to open myself to that and see, see, you know, Asta, what are you talking about? Mm. And we started talking about faith and a belief in God, and I explained to her that the God I grew up with was a horror show. Uh, he created you to punish you and frightened you and, uh, you know, as a girl and as a woman, you're just a piece of trash. And mm. So I said to her, I explained to her why I didn't believe in God and more than that, why I actually hated God. And then she asked me to design my own God and she said, if you had the power to, you know, attribute a higher power, if you had the power to, to make your own God, what would you do? And <laughs> as I was going on, I thought, yeah, right. Uh, that's actually a description of Jesus Christ and Christianity at its best. And so instead of inventing yet another new God, <laughs> um, I started diving into, um, in, into that story um, and so far, um, you know, my husband and I go, went about, both of us saying we're atheists and now it's, I, I like this story, I exploit and um, the more I look at it, the more I don't want to say I'm fulfilled, but I feel I no longer have this need, this, this void, I have to say, and I mm. feel like I, I'm, I'm going somewhere. Now, most of us here know, know that. We know that Jesus is the one who fills the void. And we know that the reason our culture is empty and aching and lost is because, as Ian Hersey Alley puts it, because our culture has become spiritually bankrupt. Now, over the last few years, we've tended to have a, a theme for the year. 
here at Gateway, and that having a theme for the year helps to give us focus for what we're doing in the coming 12 months. It helps to shape our teaching and, and helps to shape our praying. And the theme we want for this year, the theme we felt led to in God, was that our theme should be the theme of refuge. And uh, this was something which the Lord particularly spoke to me uh, last summer when I had a sabbatical. And as part of that sabbatical, I was two weeks I was walking in the Pyrenees Mountains in France, and during that time I was staying in refuges. This is one of the refuges in which I was staying. It's very basic, no uh, electricity, uh, no internal plumbing, nothing like that, but a place of refuge in the mountains. And as I was uh, walking in the mountains and staying in refuges, I was uh, spending a lot of time reading and praying through the Psalms and was struck again and again by how often in the Psalms, the Psalms speak about God being our refuge. And uh, this is a theme which we want to lean into this year. And it's a theme we need to, to hear, and it's a theme we need to proclaim to a lost and empty and aching world. There's prophetic power in this theme, that God is our refuge. And so as we start the year, we're going to start with a short series in the Psalms, looking at this theme of God being our refuge. In the, in the, in the Psalms, we find ancient and proven resources to help us find refuge in the living God. And in the general gloominess of our society at the moment, in the gloominess of January, although, thank God, this looks like the sun's going to be out this week, we can find the light that we need, the hope that we need in Christ. So that's our plan for the next few weeks. That's our hope for this year that we would see God as our refuge. And even this morning as we're looking at this, I think, really felt as I was preparing, felt prompted my spirit last night again that there's some even here this morning who needs in a new way, fresh way, maybe for the first time to experience the refuge of God, to step out of the storm and come into that place of peace and life and light and hope you can know with him. So uh, let's look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46 for the director of music written by the sons of Korah according to Alamoth. That's really the kind of tune or rhythm it's to. It's a song. Uh, let's, let's read this. We've read, read some psalms together already this morning, but let's read this psalm out loud together. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Now, this is my go-to psalm uh, 
when I'm visiting those who are dying. If I ever come and see you and I read Psalm 46, <laughs> you're probably in trouble. <laughs> and uh, the reason <laughs> that I tend to go to this psalm is because, because of what it expresses, that even in those very powerful moments, very poignant moments, as you're with somebody who's close to death, and one of the, it's one of the pastoral privileges that I have, is that even as the body is crumbling, as the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea, there's still hope that God is a refuge. And so it's a great psalm to pray with those who are close to that transition from this life to the next life. Three things I want to draw from this psalm, a psalm which isn't just for the dying, but a psalm which is for those who want to live, a psalm for those who want to find refuge. First thing is to see that things will shake. We are not promised an easy life. I would much rather, I would much rather I never knew any trouble. The reality was, if life was always straightforward, we wouldn't need a refuge. But that doesn't seem to be an option. Job said, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. Trouble is just part of life. And that's why it says, first verse of the psalm, God is our refuge and ever-present help, an ever-present help in trouble. The reason that we need God to be ever-present is because trouble is. Trouble is ever-present, and so you need an ever-present help in the midst of trouble. And we're meant to be honest about this, I think. We need to face it. There are things which we can do to minimize trouble. This is what the book of Proverbs in the Bible instructs us about. It's the difference between living the way of the wise compared with living the way of the fool. And the fool brings trouble upon themselves by the way that they live. Proverbs 1.32, the waywardness of the simple will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. Proverbs 14 verse 1, the wise woman builds a house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. The way of the fool... If you're foolish in how you handle your relationships, and if you're foolish about how you approach your work, if you're foolish about how you handle your finances, if you're foolish about the way that you handle your health, those things will bring trouble upon you. The way of the fall inevitably brings trouble, tears the house down rather than builds it up. If you're wise, you're more likely to build your house up than to tear it down. So live in the way of wisdom rather than the way of folly. But... Even if you do live the way of wisdom, that doesn't exempt you from trouble. Nothing can eliminate all possibility of trouble from our lives. And I don't want to depress or scare you on the first Sunday of the year, but I do want to labor this a little bit. And I want to labor it with some very painful personal stories that have been in the news the last couple of weeks. Um, some pictures here. The, the man and the, and the girl at the bottom of that picture, I.L. Walburn and his 24-year-old daughter, Danielle. She was one of the young women who was murdered by Hamas on the 7th of October at that music festival in, in Israel. And that story struck me because Ayal Walburn is an extraordinary man. He is a billionaire, made billions through being a tech entrepreneur. And he's also clearly a good man. He has put hundreds of thousands of dollars into helping build hospitals in Gaza. He has deliberately tried to employ Palestinians in his organization. And yet his daughter was still murdered. You can be a billionaire. And you can do all kinds of good works. And you'd think that if anything would insulate you from trouble, that would. But even that wasn't enough. 24-year-old daughter murdered by Hamas. 
the uh, woman and the young man in that top corner, Kate and Archie Vokes, 54 and 22, same age as Grace and me, and our kids, uh, killed in an avalanche skiing a couple of weeks back in France. And if you read that story, Kate Vokes was clearly an impressive woman. She was involved in running a family business, a property business. She was a trustee in all kinds of charities where she lived. She was clearly a good person doing all kinds of good work. She clearly was successful in life. She was somebody who made a big positive impact in those around her and doing what she and her family did every Christmas, go skiing, and she and her son killed. All her goodness, all her achievements not enough to insulate from just trouble that came. And then the last one, that picture of the chap at the top, is Christian Marriott, killed by a car in Sheffield as he was seeking to help somebody else. And un, unusually, actually, in our, the status of our media, the, the fact that he was a serious Christian came through a lot in the story about his death, that went to Sheffield City Church. Again, his whole life seemed to be oriented around helping other people. And even as he helped somebody... Practically, that was the moment in which he was killed. His good works, even his Christian faith, wasn't enough to insulate him from trouble. None of these people deserved trouble. These are all people who you'd look at and say, what they deserve is just good things to happen. Because this is an impressive bunch of people who've done impressive things and have helped many others. And yet trouble found them. Trouble found them. And it feels, as I've been preparing this, I've almost been reluctant to even talk about this because it feels almost dangerous to articulate it. That we don't believe in tempting fate, but it feels like tempting fate. The, The last time that I spoke about trouble was the week that we had hundreds of thousands of pounds stolen from our bank accounts as a church. And I've, I don't want that to happen again. And I don't want anything terrible to happen to any of us this week. And for somebody to say to me, why did you preach about that? So I feel almost nervous about it. But the reality is that trouble is going to find some of us because the world will shake. The world's is shaking. And we can try to pretend that isn't the case. We can try to sweep the bad news under the carpet. We can try to distract ourselves or invent all kinds of diversions or lie to ourselves, deceive ourselves, say it won't happen to us. We can switch off the news. So many of us no longer watch the news. About half of, apparently about half of people now actively avoid watching the news. And I know myself, I stopped watching the news during, during the pandemic. I just was getting too frustrated, angry, depressed. I stopped watching the news. I mean, I still check into the news in other ways. It's not necessarily a bad thing to stop looking at the news because it can be so depressing. But it is better to have a refuge in trouble than try to pretend there is no trouble. It's better to have a refuge in trouble than try to pretend there is no trouble. Now, this year, we can confidently predict that things will shake. And some of those things are very predictable because they're ongoing things. The situation in Ukraine, that's not going to get sorted out anytime soon. That's going to be shaken. There's still going to be, it's 
gone off our news, but so many people being killed. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people being killed. That's not going to stop. That's going to continue. The situation in Israel, that's not going to get sorted anytime soon. There's already been an earthquake in Japan this year. There's already been floods in the UK this year. There will be earthquakes and floods and wars and rumors of wars. And it could go all the way. Israel, yes, might invade Lebanon. They might then try and take out the Iranians. The Chinese might then invade Taiwan. The Russians might then have a go and pop a nuclear bomb into Ukraine. We might be in global conflict. That is possible. It could go all the way. There's all kinds of unpredictable things. None of us know what's coming our way. The waters roar, the mountains quake. And so it's, it's wise to be right, wise to this. It's wise to be reconciled to this. It's wise to be ready for it. It's wise to find a refuge because things will shake, which means we do need a refuge. Things will shake. Second thing is that we have an unshakable God. We have an unshakable God. Because things shake, we need a refuge. We need one who doesn't shake. And Psalm 46 teaches us how to approach the one who is our refuge. Psalm 46 teaches us how to pray and how to worship in a shaking world. And this is what the Psalms do for us. The Psalms teach us how to pray and how to worship in every situation, every circumstance. This is why we normally start our services on a Sunday with a reading from a Psalm. That's why we encourage you to read Psalms every week, because the Psalms teach us how to pray and how to worship in every situation, every circumstance. And Psalm 46 teaches us how to pray and worship in a world which is shaking. The Psalm teaches us that God is our refuge however the world shakes. And there are different kinds of shaking which are described in this psalm. There's the shaking of the natural world, the first three verses, when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, when the waters roar and foam, when the mountains quake. When things happen in the natural world, when disasters happen, we need a refuge. And God is the unshakable refuge. When political shaking happens, verse 6, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. When we see political shaking and violence. When we see warfare and conflict, we need a refuge of one who doesn't shake, and that is the Lord our God. Whatever the shaking, he is the refuge. And twice in this psalm, we're given a refrain which really drives this home to us. Verses 7 and 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In the troubles, God is near to us. He is with us. He's our fortress. Now, in the NIV, which we use, uh, it says the Lord Almighty is with us. More literally, that's the Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of the hosts, of the armies. He commands the angel armies. And that means that whatever powers arranged against us, his power is greater because his hosts are greater. There's a story that illustrates this in two kings. Elisha, the prophet, is being pursued by the king of Aram who wants to kill him. And it says in 2 Kings 6, when the servant of the man of God, when the servant of Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. 
Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened his servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all round Elisha. When the world is shaking, we need to pray that the Lord would open our eyes so that we would see that those who are with us are greater than those who are opposed to us. That he's the Lord Almighty, he's the Lord of the hosts, he's the Lord of the angel armies. And when things are shaking, we need to see the angel armies. We need to see the armies of God encamped around us. We need to see the armies of God encamped around us as a people, as a church, that we're here this morning, but there's a great host around us. God is with us, unshakable, our refuge. And God doesn't teleport us out of trouble. We don't have that wonderful sci-fi option where at the last moment you can say, beam me up, Scotty, and you get whisked out of trouble. That doesn't happen. But God gives us a place of refuge in the midst of the trouble. He is our refuge. And that means that even when the earth is giving way, we don't have to give in to fear. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. And it's so important to see how that operates. It's, we won't fear if the earth doesn't give way. We won't fear even though the earth does give way. Even though everything's shaking, we're not going to give in to fear because we know that the Lord of the angel armies is the one who surrounds us. He's our refuge and he is unshakable. And then the third thing, Selah, at the end of verse 3 and verse 7 and verse 11, that mysterious word which nobody is quite sure what it means. And uh, in this version of the Bible, they have so annoyingly taken it out because they've got it down as a footnote. Uh, but I think because nobody knows quite sure what it means, the editors of this version of the NIV have taken it out so it doesn't interrupt your reading. But it's important. It's a really bad idea to take words out of the Bible. <laughs> This is a great translation, but that's a big mistake. Don't take words out of the Bible. Don't add words to the Bible. Don't phone a friend. Uh, uh, Selah. What does it mean? We're not quite sure, but it's probably a moment of pause. It's a moment to reflect. It's a moment to consider. It's a moment to praise. That's what you're meant to do as you praise. What you do is you read the Psalms. If you want to pray, learn how to pray and worship, reading the Psalms, you need those Selah moments. You need to stop. You need to reflect on what's been said. You need to apply it to your own life. You need to lift it, speak it back to the Lord. You need to pray it to Him. You need to pause. You need to consider. You need to praise. And the Psalm really underlines that for us in verse 10 where God says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That's a, that's a Selah moment. In the midst of all the shaking, in all the midst of all the craziness, be still, stop, pause, consider, and know that I am God. And, and stillness, spiritual stillness, can be an act of warfare. The world is crazy and wants us to go crazy too. And being still taking a Selah moment, 
in the midst of the crazy is an act of defiance, where it says that we're going to trust in our unshakable God. We're going to trust in the one who is our refuge, rather than being consumed by the craziness of the world. This time of year, lots of people think I'm going to have a fresh start. I'm going to turn that fresh page. I'm going to get my spreadsheets really nicely ordered this year. I'm going to have my diary properly organized. I'm going to declutter and be much more mindful. All the mess that's accumulated in the house, I'm going to clear it up. And I just here this morning, it was bugging me. It was worshipping even a pine needle from the Christmas tree. Still here. I thought you'd cleaned them all up, Vicky, the other day when we were in here. He tried, he tried, but there's still a pine needle. Ah, and... Still there. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be still and mindful. And we can say, I'm going to declutter, I'm going to clear the house. I'm going to get rid of all the rubbish we've accumulated. I'm going, to, I'm going to be much more mindful this year. I'm, much, I'm going to pace myself, think, breathe deeply, all those things. Those things are good, but it's different. It's different. Knowing God is different from that. Knowing God is different from that. Having the ability to be still in the midst of the crazy, have that act of spiritual warfare, that act of spiritual defiance, comes from knowing who God is. It's, it's like being on a mountain in a storm and stepping into a refuge. So that picture up again, Lou, of the refuge I stayed in. This was a very basic, very primitive refuge. Now, the day I stayed in this refuge... Once I got in there, there was the most amazing storm. There was rain like you've never seen, even worse than it was here on Thursday. There were huge hailstones. And I was so glad that I was in that refuge. There were some other walkers I'd passed on the trail, seen a couple of times, interacted and who were camping. And I thought, I am so glad I'm not in a tent in this storm. I'm so glad that I'm in this refuge. Primitive, basic as it is, I'm so glad to have a solid roof and solid walls. And that's what it's like as a Christian to know God. It's like stepping out of a storm on a mountain into a place of refuge. Storm is still raging. You can still hear the hailstones smashing on the roof and on the windows, but God's got you. God is safe. The center of this psalm, verses 4 and 5, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. It's a picture of a very civilized place. This is a place which is free from the violence of the shaking, the violence and the shaking of our world. It's a picture of a place which is very different from our world. And we get a more complete picture of this at the end of the story in Revelation 22, where the Apostle John is given a revelation of how things will be at the end. And it says, The angel showed me the river. See the parallels here. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
what the psalmist declares, what John sees is our birthright and destiny. And we're meant to experience something of life in that city, something of that refuge of God amongst us now. John shows us how it will be, but we're meant to get a taste of it now. And a huge part of how we experience that sense of refuge in God is as, is as we come together, as, as we do what we're doing this morning. It's when we come together in prayer and worship, as we experience the presence of God, that's where we find our refuge in the midst of the storms and the shakings. As we gather Sunday by Sunday, as we come together to pray during this week, it is like opening the door and stepping inside the refuge coming out of the craziness of the world, coming out of the storm, coming into the presence of God. It's, it's engaging in spiritual warfare. It's being still and knowing that God is God. It's reminding ourselves that in Christ we are not lost and empty and aching. But in Christ we are found, filled and healed. And the testimonies of the saints throughout the ages, demonstrate the truth of this. Test me of the church, the last 2,000 years. This is a city that will not fall. Every other city, every other kingdom will fall. But the city of God will not fall. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. And the church is not going to fall. Whatever battering there might be, God will help her. God will help us. And the ultimate evidence of all this, of course, is the cross. Because on the cross, we see God himself in human flesh, Jesus Christ, shaken. We see Jesus, God himself in human flesh, killed exposed, defiled, and shamed. And we see in that our ultimate refuge because through that humiliation, that shame, that defiling, that pain, Christ got the victory. As the psalm says, he broke the bow and shattered the spear. That happened in the moment of the death of Christ. He took all the power of our great enemy, Satan, took the great power of sin and death and defeated it at the cross. And he will be exalted in all the earth. The cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate demonstration and guarantee that we can find refuge in God. And so today, again, and this year, 2024, let's be people who know what it is in the craziness and the shaking of the world to Step inside the refuge that is ours in God. To know that he is the one who is unshakable. That he is our strength. That he's an ever-present help in our troubles. The predictable ones, the unpredictable ones. Wherever they come from, whatever they are. He is the one in whom we can trust. Be still and know that he is God. He will be exalted amongst the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. He is our great Savior and our refuge. Let's pray.
Lord God, thank you for this wonderful psalm which you gave to the sons of Korah all those centuries ago, which speaks to us and strengthens our hearts today. I pray for us, Lord. I pray that we would know what it is to find our refuge in you. I pray that we would be a a sealer people. We would know what it is to pause and consider, to praise you. We'd know what it is to find stillness in the midst of the storm, to step into your presence. Lord, we know that this year will bring shaking. Lord, we anticipate all kinds of good things, all kinds of things we look forward to, we expect. We know trouble will come as well. And I pray, Lord, that in the midst of that, we would find our refuge in you. I pray, Lord, for those this morning who who know they need to find refuge, who know that the storm of life is battering. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to cling to you, the unshakable one. I pray that in, in the trouble, we would find your ever-present help. Holy Spirit, would you come now and would you minister to those who need to receive in a fresh way, fresh faith, fresh, fresh hope. Well, thank you that our Our story is not one of being lost and empty and aching. Thank you that in you we find purpose and meaning, healing and life, fulfillment and filling. I pray that would be our story today. I pray that would be our story this year. That we'd be able to tell a good news story of the God who is a refuge for us and rescues us from the storms and shaking of the worlds. Thank you, Lord.